People first leadership. It sounds so cliche. It sounds so obvious, doesn't it? The truth is, it's one thing to say you're a people first leader, but it's quite another to put that into action, to know what to do about it. In this conversation with Barb McLean, Vice President Integration Analytics at Solero Solutions, we talk about people first leadership. We also talk about fintech, credit unions, women in technology, small town farming routes, and we even, even talk about Star Wars and the wisdom of Yoda. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Navigating Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Shaquille Barmel. I'm the CEO of Ocean Blue Strategic and partner with the Summit Group. I'm a coach, consultant, and speaker, and I help leaders, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals make an impact through improved performance. In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with interesting leaders to define practical lessons that you can use to make an impact in the face of uncertainty. We are proud to be brought to you by The Summit Group. We help companies increase revenue and deepen customer relationships by moving from sales excellence to authentic business relevance through engaging learning experiences. Barb, how's it going? Awesome, Shaquille. I'm having so much fun. I'm so happy to talk to you today. Oh, me too. Me too. Now, first of all, every so often... I wish that my podcast was a video series because I wish my listeners could see what I'm looking at. Your office seems to be uh, a museum, an exhibit, a tribute to all things in the Star Wars universe. I would say that's totally true. Some of it is my original Kenner collection of action figures from 40 odd years ago. Wow. And I have lovingly had them, played with them, given them to my kids to play with too. I'm not the kind of fan that keeps things in their packages to appreciate and value. I'd rather appreciate them. And uh, yeah, it's been really great to bring this piece of myself to work every day because I've been working from my basement for the last two years. And I'm glad that everybody that I meet on these kind of calls appreciates that about me. That's been really really great for me to share that bit of myself and then see a little bit about them. Well, you know, I already knew I liked you from our first meeting, but there is a different element when you, when you, when the screen turns on and you see this backdrop, it does say a lot about a person and we're doing a lot of that now, uh, getting to know people without even words being shared. It's true. I did have a colleague say he appreciated that I didn't turn my blur on being potentially worried that this is not professional enough or anything else. He said that really makes sure that it's authentically you. Yeah. And that actually has been in my mind a lot on why I choose to continue to show it to everybody. It is a part of me. Yeah, no. And so I'm going to, this is begging the question, a life lesson that you've taken from a star Wars character go, uh, at Yoda, because as you said, it's it's a not a video podcast, but the poster with all of his quotes For is sure. literally beside me. But without having to read it, it's you must unlearn what you have learned. Because I do believe that we always need to seek to know more and understand more if it's about a topic or about a person. I think, you know, I get so much joy about 
learning and understanding more and always seeking to know more and seek more knowledge. So that one really resonates with me. Oh, you must unlearn God. what you have learned. I, you know what? I, I'm a Star Wars fan, but I have to say I'm embarrassed that I don't remember Yoda saying that. But it would have been another reason for me to love this this creature, because I so believe that so much of us moving forward in life and responding to the situations in front of us are not about uh, learning new things, although that is important. Sometimes it's about letting go of things and unlearning things that aren't relevant anymore. That's that's a good one. That's a good one. Barb. So, Barb, there's so many things I want to talk about with you. Let's just introduce uh, our listeners to you. First of all, we met in Calgary, Alberta. My very first trip I took uh, uh, during the COVID period, I got to work with your team, your organization in your new building in Calgary. Uh, it was a great experience. And one night we went to a hockey game and the legendary Lanny McDonald was there. Thank you for having him there and giving me an opportunity to meet him and take a photo with him. But we got into an impromptu conversation. And in that uh, probably five-minute conversation, I knew you were somebody I had to get to know a little bit more of. Uh, and so here we are having this conversation. I'm sharing you with, uh, with all my listeners. One of the things that was intriguing to me when I, when, I, when I was speaking to you is how much you talked about the way you learn. And so I would love to get into a little bit about that, um, the way you learn. But, but before we do, why don't we fill in our listeners? Like, who are you? What do you do? How do you define yourself in your professional life in the world? So I want to say thanks first to you and then second to your listeners, because I understand, I think, how important those communities are. So thank you for sharing them with me, actually. That's a gift to me here. It was also my first time seeing people in real life for an awful long time. I've been, you know, here in my house with my family and and other than the grocery store or what have you, I, I hadn't been anywhere for almost two years at that point either. So Mm. it was great to go out and see other humans again. And you have an infectious energy, which I think is why that short conversation led us to doing this together, Mm. because I was feeding off you, I think. Uh, I work for a company called Solero. This has been the only real job I've ever had. I came here straight out of university uh, 20 years ago, and I've been here ever since because I keep getting to work with great people doing fun things. Mm -hmm. And that has remained true over that course of the career that I've had here. Uh, But I grew up in Western Manitoba. I'm, you know, born and raised in Brandon, educated there, uh, and then moved to the big city in Winnipeg to to get this job that has turned into my career and into my passion. But you were born and raised in, there's a couple of things I want to pull on. First of all, Solero, we'll get into what business you're in, what industry you're in, who you serve. But when you said that you grew up in Brandon, Manitoba, you grew up in Manitoba, tell me about growing up, because that's the prairies, right? Where you want, where, did you grow up on a farm? Not uh, exactly, but I come from a family of uh, farmers. My grandparents lived on the family farm. You know, the, the part of my family that comes from my father's side are uh, folks that came from Scotland, came to Canada in the late 1800s, about 1882, you know, walked out to the land that they homesteaded. And that is still land that, uh, you know, my family farms today. Uh, and that includes the, the place where our 
family farm is. It was probably more summer vacation home for us as kids, right. but yeah. my, my father and my grandfather uh, did farm that land as well. And, and as my brother has too. So farming is certainly in my, in my family's blood. Gosh, I mean, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but that brings back memories of watching Little House on the Prairies. You talk about coming out and homesteading and, and just making something out of nothing. And it's still in your family. That is, that is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, my parents are very proud of that. Um, it's a place that we go to gather as a family. Uh, I have three siblings. You know, we have been obviously flown the coop and, and gone in to build our own lives. And mm-hmm. we're dispersed a little bit across Canada now, but it's one place that we we do like mm-hmm. to come back to together. So how would you describe the impact of growing up in a family that is so connected to the earth, to land, kind of family uh, values, family time? How has that impacted your, your life as an adult uh, in your career? I think it gives you an appreciation for, you know, the simple things. It gives you an appreciation for the people that are truly important. It's been an interesting journey for me to go through what I think a lot of Canadians have gone through in the last few years to sort of accept and try and reconcile that while that has been a very positive thing for my family, you know, the act of Europeans coming to North America has been, you know, objectively opposite of that for so many other Canadians. Mm. And so to even have examples of stories in my family where we knew that, um, you know, people that lived here in proximity to the land that we now say that we own, used to come to the farmhouse and my great grandmother would share bread with them. Mm. You know, I had a perception of that being positive things, but Mm. there's probably arguably a lot of negative there. And it's, it's very tough to reconcile that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's so interesting that, you know, this last couple of years, it's really come to the forefront, all that, those years of, I don't know what, what else to call it, but just so wrong, all the things that happened. Uh, And it is hard for good people to make peace with, a history of this country where we value this country and what it stands for, but we have a difficult past and, and we just have to come to terms and reconcile and face it, face it on head on. Yeah. And Um, I think growing up in that kind of the part of the world, you know, we, we were very much exposed to a lot of sameness in mm, that way. mm. Did I get exposed to a lot of folks that had come from other places and, you know, were new Canadians? Not, Mm. not a lot, Mm -hmm. just by virtue of, of where I grew up. Mm. And I do think that's one thing that I have appreciated about Winnipeg as a Mm. city. Um, There are so many uh, folks that have chosen to live there and have come from other places and the strength of those communities, to me, are one of the best things about Winnipeg. There's mm. such a variety of backgrounds, and there's such a pride about that. You know, folklorama is one thing that I think we have all missed in this time of no- people not being able to get together in person because it celebrates those things that are different and then interesting about all of us. Yeah, wow. That's uh, incredible. So let's let's go back to Solero. You said you've worked there. I actually didn't realize when we first started working together, uh, but I did just look at your LinkedIn profile and you've been there for 20 years. So yeah, right out of school and you've had, looks like at least a dozen different jobs in that time. So first of all, tell us what Solero is, what it does, who it serves. So Solero is a technology company that serves up primarily credit unions in Canada. We center completely around the financial services and technology verticals and where they come together. Mm -hmm. And we are born from the credit union system. So, so much of that culture of 
um, cooperatives helping cooperatives and, you know, people helping people in their communities that that very much informs who Solero is. Mm. And our services center around banking payments and integration services and how we continue to do those things on behalf of credit unions because it's what we do well and it's why they actually made us as an organization. They decided to bring these teams of experts that were spread across the prairies and the technologies and and capabilities they had and brought them together under a single umbrella. Um, As you can imagine, much of that was designed to help bring economies of scale to the credit union system in the prairies at the time. And as we've evolved over the years, uh, we have found that that uh, capability has been bringing value to credit unions outside of our traditional prairie market. We proudly do business across the country today. Mm. And so a technology company that serves uh, finance, financial institutions and very specifically within the financial institution space, specifically credit unions. I've had an opportunity to work with credit unions in the past, but I would say that uh, in this day and age, particularly a lot of young people don't understand the differences. And I mean, in, in the past, it was basically banks or credit unions. Now, we know there's a lot more diversity in the financial services industry now, but let's start with what is the difference between a bank and a credit union? A credit union would be a cooperatively owned financial institution where the account holders are actually the owners. And so you join as a member of that credit union, you have the opportunity to participate in the governance and the decision-making of that credit union. And you then also have the ability to you know, reap the benefits directly. So while it's probably a true statement to say that many Canadians who are investors own shares of many of our larger banks, you are directly making the choice to you know, be participating in that profit of the credit union when you join them as a member. Yeah. It drives different behavior in those organizations. Um, you know, there's certainly much more of a focus on serving the local communities. Many of the credit unions are still um, completely focused on the town where their branch is and where they got their start. Um, certainly a lot of growth has happened out of those trajectories of the basements that they started in. And we have many large credit unions as financial institutions in Canada today. So there's a very, you know, a very wide variety as you start to dissect the credit union market in Canada and the kinds of needs that they serve across the country. Wow. So, you know, that, that takes me back. This is such a core thing, what you talked about financial services in the community and credit unions and cooperatives. In my previous job, I had a chance to travel to uh, East Africa and at a very particular day that really impacted me. I was in a rural village in Mozambique and the, the organization I worked for was a nonprofit that helped improve economic livelihoods and health and education in these rural villages. And one particular day, our hosts took us to visit the community-based savings group. And when you describe what you're describing about credit unions, I think that's basically what that was. It was a group of I think 22, 23 people in the community that came together, they met once a month, sat in a circle, they read out kind of the rules of engagement for the community, a set of values about how what they believed and how they conduct themselves. And then each person would go around and they would make their contribution for the month to their savings program. And they would be celebrated with a clap amongst the community for taking those steps to celebrate. And I guess that was a credit union. And they would, from that pool, they would loan money to each other. And the 
debts would all be cleared at the end of the year and whatever profit there was that was distributed. My favorite part of that story, Barb, was that um, there was children playing in the village all around the circle, right? And every time somebody made a contribution, the treasurer would announce the contribution. And when everybody clapped, the kids would run because they would hear that moment that clap was happening and they'd clap. And like I saw in that moment that these kids are learning that savings is a good thing because people clap for you when you save. Such a simple lesson. I thought that was a really cool thing, but it sounds like a credit union to me. <laughs> I can understand why that would you know stick out as such a key moment in time for you. And those savings circles, I think, are actually coming back into vogue again you know, in some ways, especially yeah. as we talk about how do you translate that very personal in-person kind of moment, which is exactly how so many of the credit unions in Canada started, right? Mm -hmm. It was a group of teachers that decided to get together and they would be figuring out how they could serve their unique financial needs. Um, and so they all got started in some way, whether it was geography that brought them together, whether it was some sort of other belief system that brought them together. It's a community of like-minded people that are trying to improve mm -hmm. their shared you know, financial um, lives in that way. And, you know, you, you fast forward to today and where we are, and people have been so removed from that ability to have that in-person interaction, whether it's from their local branch of the credit union. And in many communities in, in rural parts of Canada, that credit union is the keystone and the touch point for that local community. They may be the only business or one of the very few businesses in that local community. Mm. Very often they have, you know, the, the building that is then shared for other reasons because mm. they continue to, to invest in it together as a community. When you've been removed from that physical touch point to that branch, how do you maintain that sense of community? That community has started to, I think, you know, become virtual communities right. how do you harness that uh virtual like-mindedness and is that the place where community community-based financial institutions are going to trend to less focused on you know the physical community necessarily that it grew out of but seeking out those like-minded uh people or people that have similar needs and you can find them now dispersed across the globe and it doesn't matter where you came from yeah, you know, I was one of my other guests, he had built his, it's, he's running a nonprofit and he built, he's building his business on the idea of these virtual communities and sharing information and conversations. Of course, that's social media, but he's taking a very specific approach to it to make sure he encourages people to seek multiple viewpoints. And he likens it to, I mean, his company's called uh, digital public square, right? And in the old days, you'd be in a community in a public square and you'd debate, exchange ideas, meet physically, like you're talking about the physical branch that you're connected to, the physical credit union you're connected to. And now it's all virtual. And so that's affecting the credit union uh, space as well. One of the things that was very intriguing to me when we were talking in, in your session, hopefully this doesn't come across the wrong way, but I know when I was running an organization, one of the things that my HR manager would, was speaking to me about is how we needed to have more women in the IT department. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I don't really get a lot of applications for, for women for IT positions. And he goes, well, that's the problem. You have to make some effort to get more applications from women in IT. Well, I'm talking to you and you're a vice president, kind of as senior as they get in the world of IT and I look at your resume, software, technology, 
How did you get there? You are probably a rare individual. How did you kind of find this path in your career? Walk me through that. I think I am a pretty unique story. You don't find many folks of, you know, sort of my age that have been with an organization for their entire career. Yeah. Uh, as you say, finding a woman who has actually found a mostly technical path mm-hmm. through through the whole thing. I think that was actually part of my origin story at Solero, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I've always had a bit of a technical bent. You know, as a kid, I used to be the one in the family that would take apart the Atari console joysticks to figure out why it wasn't working and, you know, where the wires needed to go to put it back together. I actually got my start at coding on the Commodore 64 back in the mid and, you know, so handcrafting basic where you had to enumerate each line of code. So I always had an interest in that. When I started at university, I wanted to be a programmer. I started in the computer science department Mm. and then calculus and I parted ways rather unamicably (laughs) and I had to make a new life plan. So, you know, I ended up with a business degree and I always had this affinity for technology. And at the time at Brandon University, They were trying to grow this technology-focused business expertise degree. And so Mm -hmm. I, you know, consumed all of those kinds of courses and played both sides a little bit in in what I learned in university. When I went and I had my interview at what was Credit Union Central Manitoba at the time, I think they were looking for somebody that understood technology because so many of the members of the team, the help desk team that I was applying to join, um, had come from credit unions. They had credit union experience. They knew the lending process very well. They had all of these flavors of expertise, but many of them were credit union folk. And they didn't necessarily have someone that had some technology understanding. And of course, to be on the help desk, you were starting to get into the early days of online banking. And at that time, you know, after I joined, we actually did direct support for members, people that were having trouble logging into online banking. So they needed that technical skill set and they found it in me. Now, I didn't know anything about credit unioning or banking. It was literally my first job. You know, I didn't even know anything about the politics of working in an office or any of the rest of it. Right? Yeah. They, they taught me all of that. I knew I had an ATM card and I put it in the ATM and it gave me money. That's about what I knew about financial services. Yeah. And it was a perfect start for me. Because yeah. if you work on the help desk and you don't know who knows something, because you know you definitely don't know in the beginning, if you yeah. can't figure out and navigate the internals of your own organization and start to pick out the experts on who you're going to seek information from or who you're going to get to work on this customer's problem, you can't be effective at your job. It was actually a perfect introduction then to me on what had then become Solero shortly thereafter on mm-hmm. what is what business are we in? Mm-hmm. Who are the people that know things? And so it was the best learning ground that I could have ever had on what the heck it was that we did all day because you actually needed to know how the entire organization worked. Yeah. And from there, I had a really great opportunity to be involved in standing up what is you know one of our subsidiary organizations. It's a payment company called Everlink. Mm-hmm. It was one of the two reasons for which Solero was formed. Let's rationalize and bring some scale to providing payment services nationally. And as they were standing up that organization to start, they didn't have any staff of their own. So I got the opportunity to work on that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Then the second initiative rolled around for Solero, which was harmonizing and bringing scale to the core banking system itself. The literal, you know, inside that is the system of record for a financial services organization. Mm -hmm. Also, the Mm -hmm. most risky project you could ever take on, which is, you know, ripping out the core and replacing it with something else. 
Um, and I had the opportunity to get involved in that as well. Once that was done, Solero then started to figure out what do we want to be when we grow up? And this is where we started to take on some of our growth initiatives, seeking out customers in, in new areas of the country we'd never served before, figuring out what other services we could provide value in providing. And, you know, that's where I really got deep into the technology track, I think, of, of Solero. And we had this hypothesis. If we could move faster on behalf of credit unions, that would be one of the places they would really find value from us. And so we created this little uh, slightly segregated team to test that experiment. If we you know, bring in a team of experts and let them sort of choose how they work, let's see what happens. And they immediately proved the hypothesis was true of if you set people free and put together a small, highly motivated, highly skilled, autonomous team of experts, they will actually blow your mind with what they can do. And we proved that we could move so quickly and creatively come up with solutions to problems that nobody else could come up with. We, you know, every time we delivered something, we earned the permission to do more. And that translated into the place where my team is now. Um, I, I say out loud, I get to work with the best team in Solero because we get to work on things that are new. We are regenerating our own platform three years later and rewriting it from the ground up. And we just have so many opportunities to continue to quickly prove value to credit unions. That's where we're valuable is, is when we can um, move, as, move as fast as they need us to be and f- sort of forecast the future for them. Where do they need to be? And we'll make sure that we get there first so that you could be there when you need to. So you described a journey where you went from basically all you knew was how to put an, an ATM card in a machine and get cash to now it sounds like you're in this creative world where you're helping to actually navigate and create the future for financial technology, for supporting credit unions, for what's called fintech. That's a lot of learning in that period of time. I talk to a lot of leaders and I one of the, 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 my areas of interest and exploration is how do we learn? I know it's a big topic, a big area, but if I were to ask you that question, how do you learn? How would you answer that question? How do you go about learning new things? So I think when I started, I didn't I hadn't yet learned the lesson that you asked me about when we opened. I I don't think I appreciated unlearning what you had learned because, of Mm. course, I was straight out of university. Um, I probably brought a bit of the hubris with me on, you know, look at my fancy degree that I've just minted here. Of course, I know what I'm doing. It took me a while to figure out that that style of, of continuous learning and deliberately seeking out the abilities to do that is actually important. So that learning actually took me a while. And I'm I'm an information consumer and I always have been. Mm. And it certainly then didn't take me long to figure out how I could consume information either directly related to our industry or from either adjacent or unrelated industries and start mm. to translate it back to things that we could use in our work. And that's been especially important, I would say, over the last five or six years as I deliberately sought out to explore what the fintech industry looks like globally, mm-hmm. because a lot of good stories and learnings are happening because people are doing it first. So why not pay attention to what they're doing? Have them help you be smarter. I certainly learned along the way as well, way later than I wish I had. It's one of those things in retrospect, I wish I could back, go back to my younger self and teach myself sooner. The network of people that you have are one of the most valuable things you can actually invest in. 
for yourself. So whether that's the internal network inside your own organization, whether it's a network of supporters and mentors inside or outside your team, you know, whether it's this idea of sort of loosely tied people that you encounter along the way. I, I do believe there's a truism in the, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And you actually never know when those folks are going to be of value. And it's probably your responsibility to nurture those things. Mm. This, this is a very specific learning that social media has taught me. It's about giving, not getting. Mm. And in giving, yeah. somebody out there is going to find value in what you're giving. It might take you a while in that exploration to figure that out or, or who that community is. Yeah. But once you find them, the more you give, you'll get back in spades more than you could ever give to that community. But that is an interesting kind of set of interconnections there. So you talked about building a network. Oftentimes people talk about building a network. It's important to know lots of people and helps you get jobs and, you know, draw on expertise and services. But you're describing the purpose of a network as being a knowledge network. The idea that you can learn from other people and ask questions and bring in other sets of knowledge into your your world. But it's so interesting. It's almost for most people a little counterintuitive, but it's actually not, which is you, you don't build your network to take from other people. You build your network to give to other people. And yes. you end up getting the benefit back almost unintentionally of your network giving back to you. Exactly. And so, you know, I've certainly landed with, uh, we call it a tribe of folks that, Mm -hmm. you know, have a a similar way of thinking. And we think about how we can build technology for good. And certainly they taught me so much about what's happening in the industry. They even taught me these fundamental lessons on how you can seek out and, and contribute to a community. And eventually, you know, you'll be embraced there and they will start to turn to you as, as someone who can provide expertise. And so, you know, what better point to have come all this way in this career and have learned so many things and how all this knowledge, but then to have this space to give it back. Mm-hmm. It's so rewarding. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was pretty. That was pretty cool. I think I, I typically after my episode, I listen to this conversation again. I'm going to draw some insights. That's one I've got to noodle a little bit more. I think there's definitely something there of of significant value. Uh, we talk about uh, disruption and shifting industries. You are in the world of fintech, financial technology. Financial uh, systems and institutions have been changing dramatically year after year after year. What have you learned about living and working in an industry that's constantly changing? What would be something that you've picked up from that experience? I think in many ways, it's actually not true. There's an Hmm. awful lot of money spent to have not gotten very far. Hmm. You know, even if you read some of the posts that are coming out in the last week or so, some of the largest banks in the world are talking about the billions of dollars they're investing in technology. Mm -hmm. But is there really a clear outcome they're driving for the customers they serve? Mm. I think that's that's the question that is the industry is really struggling to answer. How do we move the needle for the real people that bank with us Mm. or that are members? our credit union. Hmm. You know, what real difference has all of this made to them? Have we helped people close the gap so that there is less month left at the end of the money? I think something that has been, you know, really interesting and, and not in a good way is the strain of not knowing where the money is coming from 
for so many people that has played out in the last mm. couple of years. Mm. Job losses, uh, people, especially women who have had to exit you know, employment because they had no other way to take care of their kids who actually didn't have a school to go to. And, you know, there's been, I think, a bit of a snowball effect on just massive change across who's employed, who's employed for what reasons, um, people seeking out, you know, being their own boss, um, being driven into the gig economy mm -hmm. and then needing several gig economy jobs just to make ends meet because it doesn't, you know, live up to its promise for the individual contributor there. And just some of the massive disparities on who is capturing value where, and it is never the everyday person is I think what I've sort of you know caught up to. Yeah. So yeah. you know there's got to be a better trade-off than short-term profits for shareholders on the backs of everybody that you know built that business, and and it's the everyday person that built that. So let me kind of unbundle that a little bit because my my synapses in my brain are are firing. What we're talking about is here is that large financial in, uh, institutions, financial systems around the world have been investing billions and billions of dollars in technology, right? We're doing banking in different ways, but a lot of that has been to try to improve a cost structure, improve profitability, uh, reduce transaction costs. But what you're talking about is the real purpose of financial institutions is to provide access and ability for just a regular everyday person to make a living, to make money, to start a business, to access livelihoods, to access funds. And you're saying that there is kind of a disconnect between the rationale for spending billions of dollars improving the way technology services financial systems and the actual benefit to the regular person living on Main Street or living on the farm that needs to actually have access to funds to have a decent quality of life. Yes. Huh. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to take an observation of fintech and, and segregate, you know, the new shiny fintechs from the incumbent banks. And, yeah. you know, they each have their own sets of different problems. Everything is always a trade-off, right? The trade-off for the incumbent is I actually have to spend that amount of money to keep my legacy systems going because we haven't invested in them over time. We probably haven't made hard choices on needing to replace something that is past its useful life because those things are extremely risky. Yeah. You don't want to be the guy, the guy or the gal that was responsible for that project and having it fail because they typically do. And then, you know, you're out of a job. Um, the people that are usually making those decisions are typically later in their careers. You know, are they really going to invest in the time to help mitigate the risk, to make the right decision and see it through on the other side? See, see that play out a lot, I think. And so, you know, if you're the shiny fintech, you know, you're probably well-funded via VC. And are you really just, you know, sort of trading one person's profit, you know, for the one you're going to consume to put out a shiny app? And a lot of good things happening over there as well. But, you know, does the everyday person actually even know about those services? Sometimes it's very insular in this industry. And I, I do often wonder, is it just those of us that are on the inside that can't see the forest for the trees that actually understand there's new capabilities being built, but they, it, it's not a zero-sum game. Those organizations have to find the right way to work 
together because the lessons that the fintechs that can move fast and um, you know create new value for the end customer most easily because they can move the quickest and have lowered the cost of doing so, you know, they don't have the scale. They just, mm. they don't serve the number of customers that the legacy institutions do. And how do you meet somewhere in the middle where, you know, there's a, a lot of customers that are underserved, lots of new capabilities being built, but we haven't crossed the chasm in the middle to right. make sure the everyday right. person can take advantage. Right. Wow. So who's worrying about that? Well, I think um, the credit unions we work with are worried about that. Yeah. I know we as an organization are worried about that. The tribe of folks that I have found that, you know, make me smarter, I know are worried about that. And it is for our industry, I think one of those existential problems to solve. Mm -hmm. And it does come back to that purpose. You know, what are you and your team and your organization centering yourselves around? Mm -hmm. Because if you're truly mindful of that purpose and you're always seeking to get the people that you serve there, to me, that's the answer. But it, it has to be about questioning. Mm -hmm. You can't just do it the way you did it before because clearly mm -hmm. you didn't get there yet. So yeah. there's got to be a different way. You have to change how you work. You have to change how you make decisions. To go back to the point you made earlier, maybe you need to change who's making those decisions. Mm. Has that actually driven the wrong behavior across these organizations that mm. hasn't yet gotten us there yet? Wow. Wow. That's uh, that's, that's some, really something to chew on. I mean, I don't think we can get into that in this conversation, but I had never looked at it that way. Barb, as we kind of bring this conversation uh, to a close and you think about the years ahead and the responsibility, maybe we, we talk about what you've just uncovered and unfolded here. When you think of the responsibility ahead for business leaders, whether it's in financial sector or in other sectors, what do you think leaders of the next few years have to think about as their top priorities as they're leading? I think they need to think about people first, mm. the people in your teams, the people in the communities that you serve. Mm. And, you know, this has to be the long tail that we're serving the greater good. The, the pursuit of short-term profits is clearly not serving us well. Mm. And so how do you trade off between the fact that businesses exist to make money? And that is very true. Mm -hmm. And how do you balance that with also the need to invest and make sure you're doing right by the people that not only you work with every day, that build your products and services, that pick up the phone in the middle of the night when somebody has a problem, and also really move the needle to make it better for the people that that consume your services well that sounds pretty good <laughs> and that sounds like a, a, a kind of world i want to live in when business leaders are thinking that way do you think we're moving in that direction i certainly see people moving in that direction that i know i interact with yeah it's it's one of those existential human problems right mm. can we actually all agree to agree more often than we agree to disagree mm. can we find the things amongst us that are different and that actually what is what drives us forward together because we harness that for the the greater good mm. if we can't find the ways to recognize and and harness those strengths across communities and industries you know you and i would be having the same conversation certainly years from now i have no doubt of that well, I feel better knowing that there's somebody like you that's thinking this way in a senior leadership position in uh, in corporate Canada. I think your team is lucky to have you as a leader. I think your organization is lucky to have you as a leader. And I look forward to many more conversations with you, Barb. Thank you so much for your time. Well, this is such a pleasure. I love to show up and tell the story of my team. So I thank you for the time to do it.
All right. Well, take care and have a fantastic, uh, fantastic evening. You too, Shkiel. So I think that was a stereotype-breaking conversation. I was talking to a technology executive that's basically spent her entire career working in technology. And what she talked about was people-first leadership. How, when making investments in technology and any capital investments, how important it is to think about what is the impact on the person, the individual, whether that be the employees you work with and serve or your customers. How does this investment in technology make a difference in the lives of people and their ability to have a better quality of life? Very refreshing to hear that from a technology professional and a leader in Canadian business. We talked a lot about learning and unlearning, right? Right from the beginning with the quote from Yoda, which I loved. And it just really aligns with what I'm coming across as I'm talking to business leaders. So much of our conversation relates to the changes we've been through in the last few years and this recognition that what got us to where we are today, whether it be as individuals in our career or in society or in organizations, what got us to where we are today isn't necessarily the skill set that is going to get us where we need to go. And this recognition that we have to let go of some things, unlearn some things as we're learning new things, I think is uh, really, really powerful. She also talked about learning networks and how powerful it is to build a network of people with the objective of passing on your knowledge, your insights, the expertise you might have, being generous with those things. And then in return, you get knowledge, you get insights, you get perspective from others. And that's a very valuable way to kind of build ongoing learning as part of your day-to-day, building learning networks of people just for the sake of passing on and receiving expertise. That was a great conversation for me. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, or share it. I want to say thank you to one of my favorite bands, Late Night Conversations, for sharing their song Chaos with me and letting me use it in this episode. You can learn more about them on Instagram at LNC Connected. And here's more of their song Chaos to take you out.